We invite you to turn to Judges chapter number 17 tonight. Book of Judges chapter number 17. In Judges 17 and Judges 18, we will see uh, a man from the tribe of Ephraim by the name of Micah. This is not the prophet Micah. This is just a man named Micah from the tribe of Ephraim. The late British evangelist G. Campbell Morgan had this to say about the these chapters that we're looking at right now for Judges 17 through 21. He said, and I quote, he said, the events here give us a picture of the internal condition of the people and it's probable that they were added with the, that intention by the historian that wrote the book. Now, we see uh, as we uh, opens up the scripture here in Judges chapter 17, we'll just we'll read this as we go along. Uh, let's notice the first two verses. It says in verse number one, and there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said unto his mother, the eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest. And spake of also in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. <laughs> He's a thief. All right. Micah was a thief. Uh, and his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. Now, um, Micah was a thief here. He, he returned to his mother a large amount of silver that he had stolen from her here. And we've seen already up to this point many examples of how bad the days of the judges were. And we're going to see this week and next week, it stayed bad, okay? There were some really bad times. Judges 17 and 18 present to us another detailed example of just how bad both the spiritual confusion and the sin was in the nation of Israel during the days of the judges. And I say spiritual confusion because we will see that very easily here. Micah had stolen 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother. And then he returns it to her here. And by doing so, his mother blessed him for returning the money, even though he had originally stole it from her. He had originally taken it himself. And uh, when he took it, he got to hear his mom utter a curse, uh, uh, regarding the stolen silver, he no doubt heard that curse, and maybe it worked on his worked on his uh, conscience a little bit, and he was probably expecting maybe maybe some things were happening in his life, and he decided he needed to get that needed to get that silver back. But this reveals a lot about this man named Micah, about his mother, and about the general spiritual state of Israel during this period. Judges 17 in verse number 10 that we're going to read here in a little bit. And let's go ahead and read it there. So Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year. So ten shekels there, um, a year, was an adequate wage. And he stole 1,100 shekels. That had to be a pretty good amount of money during, for, during that day. Um, and so... Uh, we see, next of all, Micah's mother directed some of the silver to be used to make an image 
to be used in worship. Now this shows you the confusion of the days, a spiritual confusion. The spiritual confusion. Uh, look at verse 3 and 4. So when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Now, can, can you get the, uh, the gist of the confusion there? Uh, make an idol unto the Lord? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's not right. She tried to give all the silver to Micah to make uh, a graven image here. Uh, let's go ahead and read uh, verse number 4, and then we'll come back and talk about it. It says, Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image. Two images here made, one graven and one molten. They were in the house of Micah. So she, she tried to give all the silver to Micah to make a graven image and a molten image, but Micah returned it all back to her again. I, I guess he figured out, hey, you curse this? <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with it. And he, he handed it back to her. She then had a little more than 18% of it, uh, 200 shekels, made into both a graven image and a molden image, molded image by a founder. Some people uh, believe that this was an image of a false god such as Baal or Ashtaroth. Others believe that it was possibly an image made to represent the Lord. That's what it says there. And she said, I had wholly dedicated the silver, there in verse 3, unto the Lord uh, from my hand to make a graven image and a molten image. So it was to be made unto him, uh, the, the Lord God Jehovah, who said, don't make any images. Okay. Either way, the Lord clearly, strictly forbade any images by his law, whether it was meant to represent the true God or not. It was wrong. Um, hold your place there. Let's look back at an earlier incident in Exodus chapter number 32. And this, uh, remember when, when Aaron made the golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, do you know it was actually uh, meant to represent the Lord according to the scripture here? And Exodus 32, look at verse number 4 and 5. Exodus 32, and we see the spiritual confusion even back to this point. Exodus 32, verse number 4, and he received them, uh, talking about the, the, the golden earrings, uh, from the people. He received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, uh, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Who brought, who brought them out? It was the Lord. And look at verse number 5. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Talking about Jehovah, Yahweh. So it was intended to be an image unto the Lord God, uh, Jehovah. Uh, but that violated the second commandment that's found in Exodus 20 
and verse number 4 and 5. Exodus 20, verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make in, unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for the Lord thy God I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Okay? So by his fallen nature, man wants to fashion a God in his own image. Many religious people, many religious people carve their own concept of God and equate that concept of God, what they think God is, as being the God of the Bible. But the God of the Bible doesn't line up with mankind's reasoning and concept of him and they can think it's the real god all they want to but it's not if it doesn't line up with the god of the bible now the sense of uh, this passage is that micah's mom did all of this relatively easily okay getting a getting a founder to make an make a couple of idols here uh, it wasn't hard to have an idol made in israel at the time and this shows how Israel society was bent towards idolatry. It was bent toward that. And these idols were made for her, uh, but they were placed in Micah's house. Now moves to verse number 5. We see Micah established an elaborate worship here. Verse number 5, And the man Micah had a house of gods, and made an ephod and, a, and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. So we see Micah had a house of gods. Uh, we might call it a shrine. Okay? And he made an ephod. An ephod is priestly garments, usually a, usually a, a breastplate of some sort. And a teraphim had teraphim. Teraphim is a word generally used for small, portable, sacred objects, especially idols or items that were used for divination. Uh, you might call them portable household idols. At a minimum, he had the two images that his mom had made from the silver. In addition to the, those idols, it appears that Micah also had some household items. That's the teraphim. In other words, gods that were worshipped in hopes of possibly gaining prosperity and guidance. That's what they would use them for. And then we see that he consecrated, that's the word used there, consecrated one of his sons to be his priest. Now, it appears that Micah was possibly seeking to imitate the worship at the true tabernacle of the Lord by making an ephod. Uh, which was a specific garment that was worn by the priests of Israel. And the culmination of all this together is that Micah actually set up a rival religion in Israel. It was in, it was, uh, in rival to what was supposed to be the one true worship of the Lord God Jehovah who instituted uh, the worship of himself. Now all of this came from Micah and not from the Lord God or His Word. This was a completely man-originated and man-centered religion. The purpose of the shrine, the ephod, 
the images or idols and the established priesthood was to serve and please himself. Serve and please man, not the Lord. If he's going to please the Lord, he wouldn't have anything to do with idols at all. Sadly, this pattern of man-pleasing religion still carries on today. A lot of things that go on in so-called churches today and religions uh, are man-pleasing religion, not God-pleasing religion. Verse number 6. We see a summarization here in verse 6 of the spiritual state of Israel during the time of the judges. And we're going to see it a couple of different times toward these end books. Verse number 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, it says that there was no king in Israel. Actually, there was a king, but they didn't recognize him as king. Um, they should have recognized him, but they rejected him, um, and that's the Lord God. But since Israel rejected the Lord God, they were without any good and effective leadership. Now the phrase, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes there, it refers to a radical individualism that marked the time of the judges Similar in many ways to what we see manifested today. Uh, the people of the time of the judges by and large looked only to themselves as being their, their own guide to morality and ethics. Doesn't that sound like today? I'll decide what's right for me. Yeah, this is my, that's your truth. I have my own truth. No, truth is truth. And whatever's not truth is a lie. <laughs> it just, just is. And the, the people genuinely felt that they did what was right, but they measured it only by their own eyes, not by the Word of God. Now, this is very much like the modern follow your heart. You know, you hear people say, well, just follow your heart. You know, that's, not going to, that's not going to get you in a, in a, in a bad way. Well, it can, okay? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, according to what Jeremiah wrote. Um, let your heart be your guide. Thinking is what we see. Modern culture regards this as the ideal state of society. Yet the Bible and common sense tell us that this kind of moral, spiritual, and social anarchy, and that's what it is, it brings nothing but confusion and destruction. Uh, whenever so everybody does what's right in their own eyes, there's going to be a conflict, isn't there? There's going to be a conflict. Um, think, let's think about a few things here. It may have seemed right in the eyes of Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, but God said it was wrong. I mean, God forbid it. It may have seemed right in the eyes of the sons of Jacob to sell their brother Joseph into slavery, but God saw it as being wrong. It may have seemed right in the eyes of Nadab and Abihu to offer strange fire before the Lord, but God said it was wrong. May have seemed right in the eyes of King David to commit adultery with Bathsheba and cover it up by having somebody murder Uriah the Hittite, but that was wrong. God said it was wrong. And it may have seemed right in the eyes of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus, but it was wrong in the sight of God. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 uh, says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
And that verse is reiterated in Proverbs 16.25. You find it in two places in Scripture. Amen. Um, when mankind follows his own instincts and his own passions, it leads to bad places, leads to ruin. And we need to follow God's way, not our own way. Well, verse 7 and 8, we see here, we see Micah hired an unscrupulous Levite. <laughs> verse 7, And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city of Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Now, here we see this is an opportunistic Levite who left where he was in Bethlehem, Judah, looking for employment elsewhere. As a Levite, though, he already had a city to live in and a place established by God for him to minister. Instead, he wanted to do what was right in his own eyes. Okay? And went about offering himself as a priest for hire, wherever he could find a place. Now, Scripture tells us that as this Levite journeyed, he came to Mount Ephraim and happened upon the house of Micah. It doesn't tell us how he chose to stop at Micah's house. No doubt, it looked like the right place in his own eyes. Maybe it was a very fancy place. Amen. With flashing, flashing lights. Yeah. Um, so this explains somewhat of how this uh, particular Levite and Micah were brought together. This is going to be important, uh, not only the rest of what we're going to look at here tonight, but also next week. Now, we see in verses 9 through 11, uh, it reveals to us that Micah hired this Levite. This guy, he just came, he stopped, and... Um, uh, he, he's looking, really looking for a place overnight, but he's also looking for a place to work. And it says in verse number 9, And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? Now, where, where did you come from? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. Now he's, he's trying to find a place where, that, uh, that is appealing to him. Verse 10, and Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one, of his son. So Micah wanted this Levi to stay with him and work as a priest for him. He did this because he's trying to uh, make his shrine legitimate and his worship legitimate. What, how, how, how much better can you make it uh, legitimate than to get you a legitimate priest? Well, somewhat anyway, a, a Levite. He's got a Levite here. Sold him. So uh, for ten shekels of silver a year, a suit of clothes and his victuals um, provided for, this Levite sold himself out to be a priest of Micah's idols. Think about that. <laughs> I mean, deep down, this guy should have known that his idolatry was false and meaningless, but by this, you know, um, 
he, he's trying to make it seem legitimate. So this Levite was a perfect example of a hireling. Amen? Someone who served a god or idol for what he could get out of it rather than serving to glorify the Lord. There are many different ways that hirelings get what they want. The monetary hireling is obvious, but there are also emotional hirelings who get in the ministry because of their insecurities and their need for approval. It says that this Levite was content to dwell with Micah. The arrangements seemed perfect to everyone, and Micah felt he had gained another son. Let me give you a, an example from my time in the ministry when, we, when I ministered up in Parker City, Indiana. Uh, we had... Uh, a carnival come to town, uh, a little bit of Parker City. You, you know, why would a carnival come to? I mean, the less than twelve hundred people in the in the community where we were at. But nevertheless, it was a street thing they did. And uh, from that, we had some of the carnies. Carnies are people who work at the carnival uh, come to come to church. This one guy in particular, he just got himself a a uh, mail order. Or ordination certificate okay. and uh, he was telling me his plans he was a he was a follower of one of these uh, guys online uh, not online on the, on the TV uh, Harvest International or something I, I forget the name of the church but it was a really big deal and the big name guy and uh, he was all about money he said, "You know, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to get in this, and I'm going to make I'm, I'm going to make a lot of money." I said, well, "That's not of the Lord, you know? And it wasn't. It's not of the Lord. He wouldn't have God's blessings on that. But uh, we see an example here. While Micah was attempting to maintain a relationship well with the Lord, he did so by violating the Lord's commands. And and this Levite hireling had no problem compromising and becoming involved with Micah's idolatry in an attempt to secure his own material comfort. Let's look at the last two verses here as we see a false consecration and a false confidence. Verse 12, And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, notice this, now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. He thought this guy was a good luck charm. Basically, right? I mean, this guy that sold out to be a, a priest under idols. Uh, you know, Micah's cons- consecration meant nothing at all. He had no authority from God to declare a renegade Levite as set apart by God. He didn't have any right to do that. Especially means he was doing it to a, an idolatrous shrine. That's what he was a, set, consecrating him to, uh, is to idolatry. And this is a very tragic account that shows the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. And quite frankly, it kind of leaves us puzzled, doesn't it? You, you look at this. Each person in this story is guilty of terrible sin. They just are. Yet we could say that the Levite was probably guiltier than Micah was. 
We can say that because the Levite was at least supposed to know the Word of God. Micah's confidence was just as false as his consecration was. They were both based on superstition, not on God's Word. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I said, we treat him as a good luck charm. We can say Michael was utterly sincere, but totally wrong. Sincerity is nice, but it gets you nowhere if it's not coupled with truth. Amen. You need to, we need to be sincere about the truth. But if you're sincere in any other way, a person who sincerely thinks they can swim across the Pacific Ocean will drown just as surely as the person who isn't sincere. Amen. <laughs> you can be sincere about all you want to. You're not going to make it. That's a long way. You're not going to make it. And you're probably not going to make it very far either. Uh, shark bait, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, that's our Bible study for this evening. We'll leave off there and we'll pick up and we'll see, we'll see Micah and this Levite. We'll see them again and in chapter 18, Lord willing, next week. But that's our Bible study for this evening. Let's pull back out our prayer list. We'll pray for the needs and we'll be dismissed with this prayer.